prophet Nathaniel came to him. And you remember Nathaniel telling him a story? Rather than just come to, to, to David, the king, and say, listen, you really blew it. He told him a story. He told him a story about a, a guy who had this, this beloved lamb, this precious lamb. It was his only lamb, and it was a dear possession to him, and he cared so much for it. And this wealthy king, who had all kinds of livestock and herds, decided he wanted to slaughter a lamb, and he took this man's only lamb, he took it away, and, and, he, and, he, and he slaughtered that man's precious little sheep. And, and David was furious. He said, come on, this guy had all this stuff, and he's, he's willing to just, just uh, abuse and hurt this man and, and, and take his prized possession like that. He said, we need to deal with him. Where is he? And Nathaniel looked him right in the eye, and he said, you are that man. You had everything. You had the kingdom. You had wives. You had all this power. And you chose to, to prey on this man Uriah and his family. And through that parable, Nathaniel was able to get to David's heart. And David was deeply convicted. And, and it was partially through that parable that, that brought David to repentance and, and received God's forgiveness for the sin he had committed. That's the power of a story, the power of a parable. And so Jesus knows that he's got spiritual truths to communicate. And one of the best ways that he can communicate them is to parable, is through parables and by explaining their meaning to those listening. So we're going to read this story in its entirety and then talk about some of the principles that God has for us here in the text. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other, other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and here he quotes Isaiah, that they may see, that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones sown when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it 
and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. As we look here at the parable of the soils, we see Jesus borrowing some principles from the agricultural concepts of the day. He talked to them a little bit about what it was to, um, to, to use an illustration from, from the agricultural world and apply it to spiritual principles. See, uh, scholars are a little bit divided over exactly how, um, uh, how, how sowing and, and reaping would have taken place in the first century, but there's evidence to indicate that this would have been a very common way to do it. See, there were, there were hard-worn paths that would go in between the fields where the general public could pass through, uh, and rather than have to go all the way around the fields, they could cut through on these paths without having to tread on the crops and, and ruin the crops. And so there would have been these hard-packed, almost like concrete paths. And as, as you would have walked, if you were a sower walking along this path and casting out your seed, inevitably some would fall on those hardened paths. And the birds were quick to come along and snatch those away. Now as you were tossing it out, you've, you've I'm sure seen pictures of the Middle East, maybe you've been there, and you know that there's a lot of rocky soil, and so some of that seed would have easily landed on soil that would not have been conducive for a good crop. And other of that soil might have landed in, in weeds or in thistles, perhaps between the fields separating them. There would have been uh, weeds in an unkempt area, and so maybe some of the seed lands in there. And then of course, as the farmer, as the sower intends, uh, seed will land on the good soil. And Jesus draws from each of these four types of soil some important spiritual principles. But first of all, it's important to notice that he, he refers to the seed as the Word of God. The Word of, the, the word of God is the one that is what is being sown. Um, God has called each of us as His ambassadors. We're all supposed to be sowers of the seed, as it were, to take the Word of God out in places where people need to hear. Listen, it's not our job to determine the, the, what type of soil we're casting the seed upon. We're supposed to take out the word that we're entrusted with and leave it to God to do the work and to work through someone's heart. And notice also, you know, in modern farming, and I don't know a whole lot about modern farming, but I know that there are, there are all kinds of different seeds out there, and there are seeds that are, that are hybrids, there are seeds that have been genetically engineered and altered to increase the, the crop and make it a better crop. When it comes to sowing the Word of God, we better not do that kind of stuff. There's no need to modify the seed. The Word of God is sufficient in and of itself to do the things that God intended on the hearts of men and women. You see, God tells us in Hebrews that His Word is powerful. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And when the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to the hearts and lives of people, miraculous things happen. We don't have to introduce all kinds of fancy ways to try to generate a good return. God is the one who is working through His powerful Word to change the hearts and lives of people. Never underestimate the power of God's Word as applied by the Spirit of God in people's lives. And so the first soil, if you're, if you're filling out notes, I'm going to have you change a little bit of what I've got on the screen. The first soil is the path, but we're looking at the spiritual principles. So you can write with a, with a, uh, a back, uh, you know, like a forward slash, uh, right in there, the hard heart. 
the hard heart. Because we're more interested in what it's representing. This path represents the hard heart. Verse 4 tells us that when this seed fell on the path, the birds came and devoured it. This would have been almost like concrete. And it wasn't going in. It wasn't going to penetrate. And those birds came and snatched it away. And if you look at Jesus' interpretation of his parable, he tells us in verse 15 that these, this represents that when Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in, these hearts and, in the hearts and lives of the people with hard hearts, Satan immediately snatches the word. Listen, it is always, always, always Satan's prerogative to snatch away the word that you hear. He always wants us to be distracted, always wants us to put aside, always wants us to close up our ears to the Word of God. And He will do that any chance He can get. And so as the Word of God is proclaimed to this individual with a hard heart, in this, this scenario, Satan snatches the Word away. What does that look like? How does that happen? How does he do it? Any way he can, really. Maybe by distracting us. As you have a chance to open up God's Word in the morning, all of a sudden, and how many of us have been guilty of this? You begin, you read, you get about two verses in, and you start thinking about things you've got to do that day. If you're reading your, your Bible on, on your smartphone, isn't it tempting to, to switch back and see uh, how the caucuses or primaries went yesterday, and you jump to your news app, and you think, well, I'll just read this a second, then I'll get back to my Bible reading. And before you know it, you're checking out the Tiger Spring training camp, and one thing leads to another, and it's, it's time to wake up the kids or to get off and get ready for work, and, and you spend about 20 seconds reading your Bible, and Satan has snatched the word away. Or, or maybe it's something different. Maybe it's not uh, incidental like that, but maybe it's Maybe it's as a result of your hard-heartedness. You just don't want to hear. Someone shares something with you. You hear something on the radio. You, you hear the word proclaimed and you think, I'm not doing that. That means I'd have to give this up. There's no way. Uh, forget it. And maybe it's just outright, flat out, I'm not listening. La, 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 la. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to you right now, God. I'm not going to pay attention to what you're saying right now. Sometimes Satan mixes in seeds of false doctrine, brings in confusion and, and, and disorientation so that you don't even know what the truth is. You're, you're confused. Maybe he's going to try to convince you that, that all the, the miracles and powerful things that happen here is just a bunch of baloney. I mean, come on, we live in the 21st century. We believe in science. You can't, you can't tell Tell me you believe things like Jesus walking on water and, 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 and curing leprosy and all this demon casting out. Come on, we're civilized people. We don't buy into this stuff anymore. So he sowed seeds of doubt and, and skepticism. And he snatches away the word. Pray this morning that your heart is not a hard heart. And you know right now, you know if this is you. You know if you're shut down. You know if you're closed off. And if that's you, ask God to soften your heart. If you've got a loved one that this is true of, pray that God would open up their heart to receive the things of God. You need to always be mindful of having a hard heart. The second soil is the rocky ground, or you can write in, in the blank there, the shallow heart. This is the shallow heart. This is where the, 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 the seeds are sown. And it tells us in verse 5 
that there wasn't much soil there. They immediately sprang up, but since there was no depth of soil, it was gone. It says the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. This is a situation where the Word of God comes, and immediately there's some response. There's some receptivity. Outwardly, it might look like this person is, is, has gotten saved. They're excited. There's some emotion. But it says, eventually, eventually, since there's no real depth there, it doesn't really take root, this fades away. It says, on account of, uh, in verse 17, it says, They have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. It uses two words that are really similar in meaning, tribulation and persecution. Tribulation is just kind of a mixed bag. Anything, any of the bad stuff of life that happens, or the trials and difficulties that come our way. You might, you might trust Jesus, but, but then when you all of a sudden hit a bump in the road, and you realize that Jesus didn't come to make your life just problem-free, you think, forget that. Jesus didn't work for me. I tried it. We took it for a test spin, and it didn't work out. He also says on account of persecution, simply being harassed for your faith, being challenged. You might have friends that say, come on, you haven't bought into that religion stuff. You, you're telling me you believe those Sunday school stories? And when you get assaulted of that, especially if it's a family member or someone you care about, day in and day out, it can wear on you. It can erode that, that, that root that had begun to take place. And Jesus said in these situations, this person ends up walking away, returning where they once were. I'll never forget when I was younger and the church I was attending uh, there was a, a young woman who had met this guy and uh, she fell in love with him and was so excited and, and, and wanted to marry him. And she had mentors in the church, the, the pastor even came alongside and said, listen, you're a Christian, but this guy's not, he doesn't want anything to do with your faith. The Bible says not to do this. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't go down this path. She was in love. She wanted to do what she wanted to do, and, and she got married to this guy. I don't remember how much time went by. They had a, had a child, and uh, things seemed to be going along all right outwardly. She would come to church. He wouldn't, and, and it, was, it was going along. And one day, she came, and she was just, just broken up and in tears, and she had said that Bob had left, walked out on them, took off, ran off with another woman, and she just alone with her child, a single mom. It was an opportunity for the church to rally around her and love her and, and help her and encourage her, but it was, it was a devastating time in her life. I don't remember how much time went by. It was months, if not maybe even a couple of years, and we had a new pastor at the time, and eventually Bob came back around. Things didn't work out with the previous, with the, with the lady, and, and he came back to his wife. And the pastor we had went and met with him and, and, and really just confronted him and challenged him with the gospel and Bob, Bob professed to trust Christ as his Savior, and, and, 
walked into church the following Sunday, a different guy. This guy was involved and plugged in. Uh, he was loving to his wife and doting on his daughter. And, and it, just, it just seemed like an amazing, unbelievable success story of, of an immediate miraculous turnaround. And I don't remember how long this went on, but he was involved. He would be the first one to church, the last one there. Anytime that there was a fellowship dinner, he was always getting things set up. He was the last one there putting things away, was just a, had a servant's heart and was extremely involved, and it seemed like an amazing, amazing situation. And then one Sunday, Bob was gone again. And they asked his wife, and they said, she said he, he ran off, went off to Chicago or something, and People tried to get in touch with him and, and plead with him, exhort him, challenge him, and he was nowhere to be found. Bob had even gotten up in front of the church and, and, and took a whole Sunday morning service and testified how God had changed his life. And now Bob had completely abandoned his family once again. And to my knowledge, 15 years later, has not come back. I tell you that story not to, not to bring a somber and a sour note, but to, say, to illustrate, I think, exactly what Jesus was teaching here. You see, we can, we can play the game. You can come to church, and you can dress up and look nice, and you can sing the songs, and you can pay attention in the message. But if the Word of God has never taken root, and if God's Word has never grabbed a hold of your heart, and as we've seen here, produced fruit, then you're like this soil here. You might be serving. You might be able to even quote some Bible verses. In the end, deep down, you know that God's Word has never, ever truly changed your life. I want to take a second here and share that I don't believe that Jesus is talking about someone who was once saved and then loses their salvation. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Scripture is abundantly clear that salvation is a miracle of God and that when you're saved, you are truly saved by God's power and are kept by God's power. The Bible talks about our salvation as being, as being a, 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 there's a regeneration, a new birth that takes place. Um, uh, uh, Corinthians talks about us being a, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The moment you truly trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you and seals you as, as His adopted son or daughter. But there are situations in Scripture where people appear to be a Christian, where they seem to follow along, they, they, they play the game, they're, they're in it, and by all outward appearance, they seem to be a Christian. Well, one, of the, one of the most uh, obvious examples is that of Judas. Think about him. For three years, he had everyone around Jesus duped. They all believed that he was a disciple of Jesus, a regenerated Christian. In fact, you remember when Jesus in the upper room said, tonight one of you is going to betray me? It wasn't like they all looked at Judas and said, eh, we all know it's him. They, they looked amongst themselves and said, is it you? Is it me? Who, who's it going to be? Judas had played the game that well. But Jesus himself said in John, uh, John chapter 6, long before the betrayal took place, John 6, 64, he says, there are some of you, speaking to the disciples, some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. 
Paul also speaks about false brethren in Galatians 2.4 and in 2 Corinthians 11.26. We need to remember that, that there are many. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew, who in the last day as they stand before him, Lord, we did all kinds of great things for you. We cast out demons, we worked, we served. And he'll turn to them and he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Maybe there are those here this morning, and you know you've been playing the game. You, you, you've, you've, you've been playing church. You know the right things to say. You know the right things to talk about. But deep down, you know that you've never truly trusted in Christ as your Savior. And you've never experienced God's salvation. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. One of the most blessed truths for those who have trusted in Christ is that they are kept by God. He is the one holding us. And I've heard people say, well, yeah, but it says God's going to hold us, but what if, what if I try to climb out of His hand? What if I am the one who gets away? What if I'm the one who peels his fingers back and I choose to walk? The point of what Jesus has taught and the the whole picture of the New Testament is that those who truly come to Christ, they don't walk. They don't walk away. I remember when we moved to China, uh, we noticed immediately uh, one of the things that, that scared us the most about living there was the traffic. It was insane. If you've ever been to a developing country, you know that traffic laws are optional. Um, and, and you can, I mean, we, I remember it, like looking at two-lane roads and seeing five lanes of vehicles. I'm like, how, does this, how is this working? We, we had times where we had to dodge cars up on the sidewalk. I mean, it was just insane. So we would, we would get ready to cross a road and our boys learned early on, they were, they, were, they were still young, four and two, they learned early on when it was time to cross the road that they had to hold mom and dad's hand. And you see, as we crossed that road and had traffic and bikes and motorcycles zipping in and around us, my kids were not kept safe because of the strength of their grip. My kids were not protected because of their ability to hold tightly to my hand. They were protected because they were in the grip of their father. They depended upon my strength to keep them safe, not on their own. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.5 that we are protected by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As Jesus talks here about, about someone who produces a little fruit and then or, you know, sprouts a little bit and then walks away, he's not talking about a Christian who's lost his salvation. But he's talking about someone who initially had some superficial excitement and for a while, it says, endured. But eventually, eventually they walked away. Their lack of true change was shown in their fruit or lack thereof. That's the second soil, the the rocky soil, the shallow heart. Soil number three is the crowded heart, the crowded heart, the thorns, the crowded heart. 
In this soil here, the, the, the thorns choked out the growth. And he says in verse 19 that, this, that, that these thorns here represent several things. Things that can choke out our desire and pull us away from Christ. He says, first of all, the cares of the world, the stuff of life going on around us, the busyness, the burdens. He says, secondly, the deceitfulness of riches, materialism. There may be no greater enemy in the church today than materialism. We look around at the people around us and we assume we've got to have this and that and keep up with what they're doing. And we've bought into so easily into the world's values. And he says the desire for other things. If we're not careful, all kinds of things can choke out the Word of God in our lives. As you hear the Word, be certain and be careful that, 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 that there's, not, there's not things creeping in. that are crowding out God's ability to work on your heart. I remember growing up, we had this big garden. And uh, my brothers and I, the four of us, were often in charge of planting and, and keeping it weeded. And it was just such a, a wonderful, wonderful thing all summer long. Uh, I don't have a garden to this day, if that tells you anything, how much I loved it. But, but it was good work, and it was a good experience to learn some of the, these principles. And I, but I remember, though, you know, we'd be sometimes careless while we were getting ready to plant the rows, especially the rows of corn. And, uh, and sometimes we would drop some of the seeds here and there and, and uh, some of the, the kernels. And, uh, and so as, as the summer wore on and, and keeping it weeded and everything, uh, I'd be, you know, we, our, our rule kind of, my mom's favorite saying was, you know, knee high by the 4th of July so that, that corn would be growing. We knew if it was on the 4th and it was, it was growing well, you know, we could, we could get excited about some sweet corn in August. And, and pretty soon that stuff would be getting well above our heads and the tassels and it would start to ear out and it would just, we just couldn't wait until we could start, start eating that sweet corn on, uh, for Sunday lunch. But there was a, the, the, the garden butted up to a, a ditch that we had that ran through my parents' property. And there was always some weeds along that that just, they were just right next to the garden, just a whole, along the whole one side of the garden, it was just weeds. And, uh, you know, around about this time, when the, when the corn and the good soil was, was well above our little heads, I would sometimes look down in the weeds and I would notice corn that was sprouting up out of the weeds in places where one of us had dropped a kernel amongst the weeds. Now, the stuff in the good soil was five, six feet tall, but I would look at this stuff in the weeds, and it was barely discernible among the weeds, but you could tell that it was corn, and it might be six, seven, eight inches tall. You see, it took some root. there There was something going on there, but all those weeds choked the life out of it. They sucked up the valuable nutrients and kept that that corn from growing into what it could have and should have been. And many of us are in that boat today. There's so much going on in our life and our world, it's just completely crowding out our ability to hear God's Word speak to us. Take some time this week and ask God, are there things in my life that are crowding out the Word? Am I unable to hear from you because God's Word, or because the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, The busyness and stuff of life have have begun to crowd it out. It's an important question to ask ourselves. And then finally, there's the good soil. And you could write in your blank there, this is the fruitful heart. This is the fruitful heart. This is the soil where the seed hit and it's fertile, it's good, good ground. And the plants begin to grow. 
and powerful things begin to happen. It's wonderful. I'll give this, even though I don't, I don't have a garden and a real strong desire to, to have a garden, especially the size of my parents, which is gigantic. Um, it's, it's neat when you start to see the fruit of your labors. As the summer wears on and you can wander in there and pick some of the vegetables and, um, and, and, uh, and they had fruit trees too and eat some of that fruit and, and then see the outcome, see the end result. It's kind of a neat thing. But how much more beautiful it is when it's spiritual fruit. When you see that God's word has taken root in a person's heart and all of a sudden it begins to bear fruit. They're using their gifts. They are exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's gentleness and kindness. God's word has taken root. He says in here that it bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. From what I read, that would have been absolutely unheard of in the agricultural world, uh, both then and now. A, a good return on your crops then would have been about 7.5%. And if you saw that kind of return, it was a good year. And so Jesus is talking about growth that is unbelievable and unheard of. I think what he's trying to illustrate is the absolute power of God's Word to change somebody's life. And the fruit that takes place is something that only God can get the glory for. Because this is, not, this is not man-centered. This is not derived from our own labors. This is God at work in somebody's heart allowing the fruit to produce in powerful and amazing ways. It also reminded me that God uses people in different ways. Some people are going to have a 30%. Some people are going to have a 60%. Some people are just going to have, God's going to give them amazing ministry. I've, I've had times in my, in my life, and this might sound silly, but as a pastor where I get, I get jealous of guys I see on TV or guys that are writing books or speaking internationally at conferences. And I think, man, that would be cool. That'd be, that'd be pretty awesome to be able to have that kind of renown. And, and, and I think God just knows that, that, that my pride wouldn't be able to handle it. But I see that these, these men and women that God has used in mighty ways and impacted people all over the world, and it doesn't make their ministry any better than the next person's. It's just it is that God has chosen to use them in a powerful way. I've talked to missionaries who labored for years and years in difficult contexts, and especially in, 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 in hard-to-reach places, like in, in, in Muslim contexts, where they only see a few, a handful of people come to know Christ over a whole period of years. And other missionaries who go to this place or that place, and it just, the gospel takes off like wildfire. Doesn't mean that this guy is more godly than that guy, that this lady's more spiritual than this lady. God's just chosen to use them in a different way. We need to take heart. God is the one who gives the increase. So as we close this morning, I want us to just ask a couple of quick questions of ourselves. Because in verse 20, he shows us what an indicator of good soil is. I don't know if you saw this, but look at verse 20 again. He says, but those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who, he's going to tell us the qualifications. First of all, they hear the word. They hear the word. So as you think about taking the soil test, first of all, ask yourself, am I listening to the word? Do I hear God's word? It's it's. Interesting, all throughout this parable, Jesus has used a different tense for the verb here. All the way throughout the parable and each of the other soils, they were people that heard the word, and the tense indicates it was, a, it was kind of a, a one-time action. It was a, it was a past event. They heard it, and that was it. 
But here now in verse 20, the tense that Jesus used, uses is, is, a, is a present, it's a continuous idea. So what he's saying in verse 20 is those uh, who, who are good soil, those who are producing fruit, are people who have an ongoing practice of hearing the word. It's a continual thing. You're taking in God's word. It doesn't just hit your ears and stop and, and then get lost into the atmosphere. But you take it in. You're taking time to hear the Word when you're studying it on your own. You're taking time to hear the Word when you're listening to a sermon podcast or here on Sunday morning or when a friend is sharing an encouraging thought from the Scriptures with you. You're taking it in. You're absorbing it. You're meditating on it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Am I listening to the Word? Secondly, do I believe the Word? Do I believe the Word? It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to hear it. But he says, those who produce fruit, they hear the word and they accept it. They take it in. The Greek word there could be translated, they welcome it. Like, like someone who comes and knocks on your door and you open it up and you see that it's a friend you haven't seen in years. And you've been wondering how they were and you welcome them in. Come on in. Oh, we have so much to catch up on. Please come in. Have a seat. Would you like something to drink? You've welcomed that friend in. You're, you're so excited that they're there. That, that's what this person does with the word of God. Oh, like David says, I'd love to meditate on your word day and night in Psalm 119. We take it in. We accept it. We believe it. We take God at his word. When he says something is true, we believe the promises. We cling to them. And then finally, am I listening to the word? Do I believe the word? And am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? That's what he says in verse 20. He says, they... they, uh, they hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. There's evidence that they believe. We've titled this series, Marked. Because when you're a disciple of Jesus, people are going to be able to tell there's going to be fruit. We all have struggles and ups and downs and times where, where we're less fruitful than others. That's, that's certain. Times where we're, we're struggling with sin and, and it just feels like all we can do is... is beat the sin back, let alone bear fruit that day. But that's, that in and of itself is the fruit of God working in us. Am I bearing fruit? So Jesus today told us a story about dirt. And I hope that you see that it's far more than giving us some first century agricultural principles that will do us no good. No, no, Jesus is going way beyond that and he's talking about spiritual things. So this morning, as we think about the soils. Is, where's your heart? Where do you fall in here? Is your heart like the path? Is it hard this morning? Is your heart like the rocky ground where, where you get, get a little bit excited and maybe now even today you're thinking about throwing it all away, walking away, doing your own thing because this just doesn't seem to work for you? Is your soil like the, like the seed that falls in the among the thorns and the thistles and the weeds? Is something choking out your faith right now? Are you unable to hear God's word because it's, it's being so crowded out by all the other things that have, have found room in your heart? Or is it a good soil? Are you hearing the word? Are you taking it in? Are you believing it? And are you bearing fruit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this, this basic illustration that Jesus uses, this real basic story, that, 
that communicates profound spiritual truth. Father, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal to each and every one of us where our heart is this morning. And that we would take an honest assessment of what needs to change. Ultimately, God, my prayer is that each and every one of us in this room has a heart that is tender and receptive, a heart where your word can take root and bear fruit. Let us be the men and women that you've called us to be, have hearts that are ready and willing to hear and obey. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.